UX Podcast Episode 156. This is UX Podcast with me, Pat Axbom. And me, James Royal Lawson. Coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden, with listeners in 167 countries from South Africa to Switzerland. Before we get into this week's show, it's that time of year where we have our listener survey. When we ask you, the listener, to spend just a couple of minutes giving us a bit of feedback and information about um, the show, how we do and what we could do maybe better. To fill in the survey, just visit uxpodcast.com slash survey go do that and keep listening <laughs> so today we have a listener phone in uh, part one of two and a listener phone in is where we set up shop in studio expo we include danway tran luciani as usual in our podcast uh, team and start a live video feed allowing people all over the world to watch us record live for two full hours uh, chat with us and and actually call in as well and this time around we got a lot of chat questions which was really fun what were some of the topics, James? Well, over the, the two hours that we were chatting away, we covered um, UX books to read, um, UX analytics, the difference between UX designers and interaction designers, share buttons on websites, data scientists, agile ways of working, delight, normalizing incompetence. Yeah. Uh, we, and a few more topics, to be honest. So let's hear part one. <laughs> This is our listener phone at number nine. And we are in disagreement about what times we've broadcasted before. <laughs> for those of you joining in for the first time on a listener phone in, the way these phone ins work is that we sit here talking for two hours. Uh, we're live on YouTube and we welcome you, all our listeners, to join in. And you can chat with us or you can, which we encourage more than anything else. Also call in. The, the articles that you, you guys maybe have picked out, uh, we've engaged on Twitter with people. We have gotten questions there. There's always something in the industry to com comment on or get upset about. But do call in if you think we are going off topic, which we also have a tendency to do. We've actually, we have actually got one question. It was a question from Lena Hansen. Which five books do you think every UXer should read? Oh, that's... Uh, oh, I have my bookcase over there. That's good. Oh, but that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> You can't just read five books. <laughs> you can't just like, look no, at the titles. No, but I know them. It. I know them. Oh, go on. Information Architecture for the World Wide Web. That's um, Lou Rosenfeld's yeah. classic. It's the first book I read. The, the Polar Bear book. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Don't Make Me Think, because everybody recommends Don't Make Me Think. <laughs> by, Steve, wrong, yeah. by Steve Krug. The revised edition. The revised the edition, when you actually realize that people have to think. The Inmates Are Running the Asylum. Alan Cooper. Of course, yes. Well... Almost the sequel to that is about face. Mm. So I don't know how many editions they're up in. One more. Well, the other one that normally people would recommend yeah. is um, James S. Garrett's film. Oh, yeah. The With the model. Yeah. I know which one. Oh. You, I, I probably have it over there. You have, and I've, I've forgotten the title of it. We've interviewed so many fantastic authors over the years now as well on UX Podcast. I mean, I, uh, Steve Porter. Elements of User Experience. Oh yeah, the elements mm. of user experience. Okay, yeah, but well, that's because so it, these are old school books, it. though. They are. Mm. Um, I would also like to add "Sketching User Experiences" by Bill okay. Buxton. Yes, I also I have that up there. <laughs> <laughs> he actually has a thinner version too. I think about two hundred pages. Really? So it's easy to digest for people who's not interested in the academia part. So yeah, okay. it's just the 
<laughs> hands-on tips right. and a workbook to okay. go with it. Because honestly, I did not read that through. Yeah, I can. <laughs> it's a thick one. Yeah, it is. As, as, um, as regular mm. listeners to the podcast will know, is that I'm, I'm legendary for not finishing books. I don't. You I, never finish books. No, I so that's just I basically never finish Default. books. Yeah. No. Um, and but I do like starting them, and I've read many a good book with a first good chapter. I can. Um, I, I really did enjoy Donna's book, the user's <laughs> the user's journey, yeah. and then it's story mapping products that people love. Mm. By Donna Litchow. Yes, she's coming to Stockholm in in. Is she? Uh, from business to buttons. Of course. Yeah, that I knew. Well, I I would actually argue f- oh. uh, about uh, to read Steve Portugal's interviewing users as well because UXers, unfortunately, uh, they know they have to do it, but the one many of the people I've met are actually, they don't interview enough, and I think there's actually a sort of a uh, an obstacle to it is that you don't f- always feel comfortable doing it in the way that you should be doing it. There's too much uh, lab studies sitting next to users, asking them the questions, but actually going out into the world and interviewing users or people in their own homes, at their office, uh, and doing deep interviews with open-ended questions, that's something people really need to work on. So, I mean, so yeah, read the book, but actually do the work is really what I'm saying, I guess. I think UXers need to read a few books that are not UX. Daniel, Daniel Pink's Drive. Mm-hmm. It's probably one I'd say to get more into the the, the behavioural psychology aspect of everything, um, coming from that angle too. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Exactly. Thinking um, Fast and Slow. I would Absolutely. say that as well. Yeah, I've read half of that one too. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I also like to s- recommend a book called uh, "Made to Stick: Why Some Idea Survives and Others Die." See that's you. by those two guys, I think. Yeah, too. yeah. Chip and Dan Heath. Um, recommendation on how to present your ideas in a way that people remember and care. So as usual, uh, I realize we're recommending books in like vivid, broad areas. (laughs) And that's like what UX is so good at, but Mm. also at the same time, what makes it so hard? Mm. Yeah. What is UX? And we're back to square one all the time. We we don't want to do that one again. No. (laughs) But it's interesting. So so the recommendation would be, Actually, probably to read one book from all of these different areas, from psychology, from sketching, from... We haven't mentioned, uh, like, a programming book mm. would probably go- be good as well. Do they do programming book. books anymore? I mean, because thinking about the speed that stuff changes. I mean, it used to be the case you've got these massive manuals or these kind of guides to, mm. to various languages. Yeah. But I don't know if they exist anymore. They I do. Mean, they, they do? do. Yeah, okay. they do. It's not just been replaced by Reddit and, <laughs> no. and forums and <laughs> Slack. Well, you could say the same thing for UX almost. Oh yeah. Now, well, they, but there's some. I mean, some of the books you've listed. Mm. I mean, they're they're. Oh I mean, yeah. They're twenty years old. They're some uh, of the books you've just listed. Oh uh, yeah. True. Um, and they're still mm-hmm. worth reading. Mm-hmm. If you're reading a book, I mean, if, if you're reading a book about a programming language, then mm. from twenty years ago, mm. that programming language is probably not in use now. But it would be really cool to actually have a computer you could try out those programming languages on because that would well, probably well, help you, you understand a lot of stuff. I mean, there's one one thing yeah, I think is really really cool. online. Exactly, yeah. and there's there's one really cool. There's several really mm. cool simulators, but um, my my first computer back in the early eighties, because I'm that old, um, was a BBC Model B uh, microcomputer, mm-hmm. Acorn, um, and um, there is now a JavaScript emulator of that computer. Ooh, a JavaScript it's emulator! It's completely wow. built in JavaScript, which is 
utterly mind blowing. If you're if you're forty four year, years old and brought up using BBC microcomputers like I was, there was a computer in school, the computer that I you know, I programmed on for the first time and you know first connected to other computers with. They've made this in a in JavaScript. That's impressive. It's just kind of. <laughs> oh, somebody's calling in. Hello, who are we talking to? It's Tristan. Hello, Tristan. Uh, messaging and hanging out in your uh, uh, your Telegram channel earlier today, so uh, I thought I'd uh, join and what you guys were all chatting about. Yeah, so for myself, so I'll sort of transition between uh, my podcast and yours, and, and today say uh, I've been speaking to uh, Luke Hay this this month um, on my podcast uh, Cliff Notes about his new book with uh, the use of analytics in UX. Um, and I wondered whether, mm-hmm. so I, I tried to keep it quite light because uh, my audience is, is sort of business managers and stuff and to introduce them to UX and analytics. But I would be interested to hear how you feel analytics fits with, with UX or, or your experiences, your use. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean straight off now and say that I've avoided interviewing or, or calling or getting in touch with Luke to do an interview um, because he's beat me to releasing the book. I've been, I've been working on the same book basically for about a, a two years and mm. I haven't had time to finish it. I, I'd say I don't know if it's the same book because I've bought Luke's book but I haven't got around to reading it because as I've babbled already <laughs> I'm not expecting I'm not really that good at reading yeah. books so I, I felt oh god I've got to read his book before I get him to come on the show so that I can I can see how much overlap it is and and work out what I'm going to do <laughs> with, with the interview and with the book but um but I'm I'm really looking forward to to reading it, finding time to read it, and I actually hope we do talk to him, um, irrespective of whether it overlaps a lot with my yeah. ideas or not. But yeah, that makes you probably the best person in the room to answer the question about the relationship between analytics and UX. I I think um, analytics or web analytics and mm-hmm. data um, is absolutely essential um, for UX work, um, and I I I think it's quite amazing how. Um, how little UXers um, do with generally do with with analytics, um, and when they do do work with analytics, it's often um, of a kind of token nature, or um, it's let's put it this way: it's it's um, without trying to put UXers down when it comes to analytics, but it's very easy to to, to drive blind, or at least think you're driving with your eyes open, um, but you're you're letting things pass by or you're you're not understanding what's going on so you're taking you're coming to wrong insights of wrong conclusions um at the end of the day analytics is is it's very very technical you know you've got web pages you've got web browsers uh, things get entered into log files or pixels get collected um or sent to google and things end up in a database and then you pull the um insights out of the database through say google analytics or whatever tool you're using but um on the surface, it can look like these really obvious answers. Look, there's you know there's sixty, um, I don't know sixty percent of our users bounce, um, and you go you go running off then and start designing something based on this um, this this insight you've you've gathered. Um, but when you start understanding deeper and looking a bit deeper and peeling the onion a little bit, um, you maybe realise that it's not that straightforward. I I want all UXers to get more involved in 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 looking at behaviour with analytics. Because um, a lot of what I see is to do with with UX metrics, um, so using analytics to try and kind of give a number for UX or number for the experience of what's happening. Um, I suppose like conversion rates, um, mm. that kind of final you know, grand digit you can use to say this is how 
good it is or bad it is. And and the 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 use of analytics for understanding behavior um, doesn't happen as often. Yeah. Yeah. It's always I guess it's e always easier to measure things, but making sense of that number or the whatever you're measuring is the tough part. And yeah. maybe people are not doing that well enough nowadays, or is there not good enough tool to be able to do that easily? Um, no, I mean, now over half of all websites have Given Analytics installed. Mm. Um, so, so the data's there. Mm. We've, we've got a huge amount of data at our fingertips. Um, but, um, but I think, um, I think quite, quite often we're, we're, we're focusing on the, uh, the qualitative side which is excellent. I mean, you've got to talk mm. to people. You've got to do the interviews. You've got to do the research with real people. Mm. Um, and the, the, the quantitative side is being used for metrics rather than um, validating things that people have said, claimed, or, mm. or shared with you, um, or, or even adding another data point, another, um, another angle to what's been going on, um, or, or a broader perspective. I mean, you can, you can un by, by segmenting and splitting up your data, you can... Um, you can reveal things that um, you just wouldn't get from other sources. Exactly. And confirm or strengthen what people have said to you. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I always say. I, I always want f several data sources that say similar things so that if I look at the analytics, I, it doesn't say one thing and the qualitative data does, says another. I, I want them to confirm each other. And that's why I always want more than one data source uh, in my testing. Um, but I think... The problem with UX, of course, is that we always talk. It's about empathy. A lot, I think a lot of UXers are scared, scared uh, by numbers. Mm. They don't want to touch them because they don't, they don't feel confident enough that this number is actually true in some sense, in the way that numbers can be true. Mm. Uh, and that's why they avoid them, or a lot of people avoid them. That's why I've avoided them, I avoided them in the past. And there is a lot of things that you need to learn in analytics to be able to draw the conclusions that you were talking about. Absolutely, there's there's a there's a few things that you really you can't avoid. I mean, like I said earlier, that you can't get away from the fact that that the data side of stuff is technical. Yeah. Um, and if you do try and ignore that, you're gonna you're gonna generate false insights. Um, like one thing that our friend Craig Sullivan um, has always said, um, and I, I usually repeat it. I mean, every every analytics setup is broken. There's not there's not a single website I've worked with. I mean, I've 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 worked with Google Analytics not since the very first year. I think I started with Google Analytics in 2007, um, so that's 10 years, and I've not yet worked with a website that doesn't have data that's messed up in some way. Um, I mean, sometimes it's the easy, it's the classic stuff that where it's not every single web page that's got the um, the, the tracking script involved um, included on, um, but most cases it's stuff that's 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 more like the kind of complexity of our setup tonight. I mean, it's really really weird stuff going on and and you know you don't even you, you the worst things is when you you realize that it's balked and something's wrong with the setup but you can't explain what impact it's going to have on the data so you you've kind of had to flag maybe to the client and said look your your google analytics setup is is, is screwed it's it's broken and they go all right well but what does this mean and i can't I don't really know. <laughs> um, let me get back to you. And then and you end up with a situation where maybe you've burnt your entire analytics or research budget just trying to work out what the hell's wrong so you can say that thing we can trust, that thing we can't trust. Um, 
you know, I've had situations where maybe a, um, a client's had double tracking scripts. So, so you, you end up with very, oh. very strange effects because mm. cookies are getting rewritten and, mm. and um, visits are getting reset and you can't say whether someone's new or repeating. You can't say which page they've gone to next or before. Really but also, effect. I mean, if you work at a large company, do you filter out your own employees' visits and stuff like that, the editors? That's, that's another one of the yeah. due diligence things. Yeah. You know, if you, even if you're sure that it's, it's kind of... Even when you found out the, places, the ways in which it's broken, mm. you've then got the filtering, and that's, that's more of a grey area. Mm. Is it broken if you're including internal visits, or is mm. that just a feature? Uh, right, that's that a decision. Yeah, yeah. And for some companies, it's it's important to separate it. Sometimes it's not. So, so yeah, I I, I do think it's incredibly important that UX involves more analytics. But at the same time, I want us to I want us to learn how to drive the car before we smash it into a wall. So I, I've got a good point. So when I feel you, uh, I, I will have to have you uh, re- repeat that or at least transcribe it because I feel you've you've beautifully set, set it up as a segue of we're building a SaaS application that does exactly that. Uh, it it uh, quantifies people's <laughs> ah. analytics setup, um, so it audits uh, large large sites, large corporate websites, uh, and checks that the data is being set up and following best practice. Uh, with um, uh, a sort of respected figure who who was uh, first product manager for for Google Analytics, uh, um, Brian Cliff. Brian Clifton. Uh, yeah. Mm. So working on. We've talked to Brian Clifton on the show before. He's. Um... He's a, he's a very nice guy, Brian. We've, yeah, so we've, we've known him for a number of years. We're partnering on building this product. Uh, be able to, yeah. to talk about that later when it when it's when it's available. But um, you've you've got definitely the right man to work with. <laughs> yeah, he's he's, he's oh, very yeah. he's a very clever man, is Brian, and, and especially when he comes yeah, to the analytics. Just, just to say on the analytics, I I, I do from a, from a data back and, and from a, a more a developer type uh, UX and, and do a lot of early UX um, with with people people rather than um, design stuff and stuff where I give off to, to more mm. uh, trained people. Um, is is use that data to set up the picture and, and look for some areas. Um, but then uh, I was wondering, but then when you get actually into testing and into to sort of deciding how design is going to work, how, how the interaction is going to work, um, that it does become uh, more of that's, that's focused testing or it's more, more user testing. It's more subtle, uh, but data can be in there in some way. Um, so whether you catch that data by writing down uh, or, or sorting cards, that is analytics too. It's just not, it's just not the web yeah. analytics. Um, and then whether you could have some oh, yeah. some sort of stuff that crosses over between the two, or you just keep those yeah. as separate layers. Yeah. Now, completely. I mean, I, I have a um, I have a process diagram um, that will be part of the book, <laughs> um, and <laughs> and basically where you you loop round, and and I have three different starting points, um, and it's kind of basically what you're saying that I I have discovery. Um, validation and evaluation as the three potential starting points for your for your work of analytics. When you when you're working when you're working with discovery, that's um, um, that's when you're looking for things for the first time. You've not done a pass through the loop before. You're looking for kind of you're generating the insights to kind of work with. And then the outcome of that is that you you come with recommendations or hypotheses. Once you've got hypotheses um, or recommendations, you're then feeding back into your your, your process. And the second time round. I mean, now we're evaluating. We're evaluating whether we've, we, whether the hypothesis was true or not. So, the third then variation is validation, and I, I say that's one. That's one where you've got 
um, you've got existing claims or, or data that you, you're, you're checking things off with, with the data you've got. So, so the classic situation would be that, that workshop um, at the start of a project where everyone says what they think. And they say, well, you know, our users do this or our users kind of never use the hamburger menu or they, they always come from the desktop or they're, you know, our main product, our main mm. um, user base is in Sweden. And these are the kind of things that you can, you can validate um, using, using the analytics data you've already mm. got. And, and from that, then, you can, you can build hypotheses and, build and come with recommendations, which, again, we've fed round and become evaluations second time round. Mm. So, so, yes, you can, you, can, you can validate user testing. You can, you can validate workshops, meetings. You can generate your own hypotheses. But you know, analytics data, from a UX point of view, for me, is, is, is a loop that you can fit into to any design project. Thanks, thanks. Thank you very much, Tristan, for joining us and giving me the chance to babble about analytics. Yes, I mean, that was... Did you bribe him or something? <laughs> I, did, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do anything at all. <clears throat> but it's so true. When I come into projects and you hear these people, they've done a survey or people are happy, and then I ask them what's, what links do they click most or what pages <clears throat> or services do they use most, and they just don't know. And some of them even have analytics installed and they haven't checked. They assume stuff, and I hate when people assume. Mm. Yeah. When you assume, it makes an ass out of you and me. So we actually got another question in the chat. Awesome. Now I don't know how to pronounce the name, but it's A. Viberg, I think. How would you guys describe the main difference between a UX designer and interaction designer, if there is one in your opinion? I wrote an article about this uh, <laughs> many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, because people were calling me an interaction designer and I was having trouble with it. Mm. They still do that today and now I don't have so much trouble with it because I don't really care. Mm. Because uh, what matters to me is the outcome of my job or my work. UX designer encompasses uh, stuff that comes prior to interaction design is, is the easy way to put it, I think. Uh, so prior to interaction design, you need the research, uh, you need to talk to stakeholders, you need to understand the real problem, uh, the business problem, not just the user problem. Interaction designers are really focused on user problems. Uh, UXers think about a bigger picture than that. Uh, but the problem is when we use the word UX designer uh, as, as a term, uh, we throw around UXer uh, often when we talk about this because it's easier to think about people as working within the industry of UX. But if you, when you use the term UX designer, you start thinking about, okay, so that's a person who designs stuff. And that's, design to me is problem solving, but that's not the connotation that most people have when they hear the word design. They think about producing something, mm -hmm. producing a sketch, producing an interface, whatever. Uh, so it's almost like front-end development. And that's what a lot of people think about. Uh, so, to me, there is a difference, but what matters is, if, does the person you're talking to understand that difference? So, uh, we can argue or ascertain right here, there's a difference, but mm. in the end, if you can't communicate what your output is or what it, the work you do and the value of it uh, to the person you're selling your work to or to the people you work with in your team, uh, then it doesn't really matter. I, I've noticed... Um, in the consultant world, at least when you look at um, you know the the requests that get passed around or we we come into contact with, um, whenever 
the the kind of those those consultant um, those companies that are kind of you know, um, the, the the agencies that are dealing with contracts to kind of dish them out. What's it called in English? I can't remember what they're called now. Um, they use the phrase UX designer to mean interaction interaction designer. Mm. It's just that simple. Mm. They there is no difference to them. The, mm. that now when you're hiring a consultant, um, you don't there is there is no interaction designs anymore, mm. and there are no requests going out there for interaction designers. Exactly. All the requests are yeah. for UX designers. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we can we can sit here all evening and talk about what mm. we see as the difference, the ideological difference between mm. a UX designer and an interaction designer. But the market has decided, <coughs> at least at least in Sweden, mm. and I, I get the impression it's a similarish thing in the UK. Someone can ring in and, and tell me otherwise. Um, but here in Sweden anyway, there's, there's it's just been a, a obliterated as interaction design as a um, as a as a thing you'd request from a consultant. Yeah. And I think that's sad because it's um, it is it is it is a particular task. There, there, it's a skill and it's an it's a it's a thing you get. You know, you can do whole university courses about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's sad when something you can get a degree in, mm. um, is is basically just blasted away over over two years, three years. It's been wiped away. Well, I'm actually in the steering committee of a, of an education. Uh, that is called a UX designer. <laughs> so I should be able to answer this question better than I just did, really. Uh, but I'm avoiding to, because interaction design is part of the curriculum, of course. Mm -hmm. But there's so much, so much more that's part of being a UX designer. It's what we, like when we talked about books earlier on today. Uh, there's so much to read up on. There's so much you could work with. Uh, I think being a UX leader uh, would be something more interesting to talk about because a UX leader would be someone who actually is is responsible for the the, the experience of the user or the stakeholder uh, of the product or service throughout from the first contact point, from the first touch point to the end touch point. And you're involved in bringing in the right people because people have different competencies, even as UX designers. Somebody loves doing interviews, somebody loves doing user testing, somebody loves doing interaction design. Uh, so you, you want to be, be someone as a UX leader who brings in all these competencies. But when we boil it down to calling people UX designers, we're not helping anyone. No. It's just confusing. Yeah. But right now there is no better term because that's calling yourself an interaction designer is just not cool anymore, like <laughs> you said. So that's what people call themselves. Uh, and they t tend not to do the whole work that you would expect from a UX designer the way I see it. Mm. But many companies don't expect much more than that. Mm. The problem with being a UX uh, strategist or leader or, or thinking big picture is that you're actually you're challenging some of the middle management, uh, what the, what they their responsibilities. You're, you're asking, are we solving the right problem? Uh, are we doing the right thing here? How do we measure progress? How do we measure success? You're asking all these hard and tough questions like the meeting we were talking about before. Do you know the answers? You're, you're assuming that people want this and they visit this area of the site more. But do we have data on that? You're questioning stuff. So it really, people don't like UXers like that. <laughs> You've also got the product manager side. I mean, we talked to mm. Melissa Perry about that and you know, she doesn't really see that difference between product manager and UX. Exactly, and, and that's it's, an it's interesting kind of very thing. Server design, product management, it's all part of the same bubble. Mm. And, and 
a person who calls themselves a UX designer and a person who calls themselves a product manager, they could be doing the exact same tasks or totally different. You don't know. Hmm. You'd have to talk to them. This actually reminds me a little bit, makes me think a little bit of, about a report that was released just a couple of days ago. Um, it's called Design and Tech Report. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's something that John Meda uh, has been doing for the past couple of years. Mm. So he he's one of the leaders when it comes to design and interaction design and UX things. And he he put together this PDF and he presented it at South by Southwest. Oh, okay. Just okay. a couple of days ago. So design and tech report dot wordpress dot com is where he put it. And that's where you see the slides and there's the recording to to it and along with the downloadable PDF. And what he um, has done is to summarize the main points, what's important in the industry right now and what he thinks might be important in the coming year. And one of the things he talked about was computational design or the computational designer, um, which is something, another title, I guess, that might uh, confuse people even more. Um, but he also mentioned the importance of uh, expanding, broadening your views, con constantly learning things and having a good insight both in business and in tech. And that pure designers that were very focused in craftsmanship, like for example, the architect or the one that only made furniture, um, that's not really the skill that the industry is looking for right now. But they're looking for people who can make use of analytics, that can propose uh, something that will change the business. And especially now when the business is changing so fast and the things that we're making reaches people instantaneously mm. and reaching people not just a thousand users, but maybe million to billion people. Mm. Mm. So this scale and this speed sort of asks for computational designers was one of his points. So I found that a little bit interesting and a little bit similar to what we've been discussing so far. So if you have time, I <coughs> definitely recommend checking out this report. And it's, and it's actual, actually also very nicely designed report, <laughs> I yeah. like to say. So it's easy to die and uh, you can just skim through the parts that uh, that seems interesting and dive deeper into the stuff that, that makes sense to you. And the recording is about an hour long, but um, I don't know if you get more in depth than just skimming through the report itself. So I would just recommend skimming through it. Thanks to um, Tristian Bailey for calling in and asking about UNX, UX analytics, which got me all going. Yeah. But one of the, one of the, when we were talking about the, um, um, the book recommendation of books to read, mm. um, it's one thing when you're just listing them straight off the top of your mind when you're sat in the studio answering a question. But I realized an obvious one we missed was Tom Grieva's um, Articulating Design Decisions. That's very true. Uh, it's one of the most recommended books I've heard yeah. uh, in recent years, actually. Uh, and, and it's one of our most um, listened to episodes. Yeah, it's um. something that people do struggle with a lot. So definitely one to read uh, as a UXer. This has been UX Podcast with me, James Roy Lawson, and him, Per Axbom, and... Danway Tran Luciani. you got to read her name this time, yeah. so you're on. <laughs> um, join us next time for part two of this listener phone-in. Um, thank you very much for listening to us. <laughs> Remember to keep moving.
See you on the other side. there recursion recursion who knock knock <laughs> who's there recursion <laughs> i got it thanks oh, come, come on. we've got loads more minutes can we keep going <laughs> recursion who knock knock <laughs> stop <laughs>